This is Before the Light Goes Out with Catherine Williams. Ben Christophers is a British artist, producer, songwriter and multi-instrumentalist. He's released five solo albums and is best known for his work with Natasha Khan from Bat for Lashes. He collaborated and produced the album The Bride with her, which was nominated for a Mercury Music Prize. He's produced Peter Alexandra Jobson from I Am Clue and also South African artist Nakane with their last album You Will Not Die. He's worked with Anna Calvi and Birdie and is currently working with Guy Garvey of Elbow on a new project started during lockdown. He's also writing with the artist Cold Specs, aka Ladan Hussein. Welcome, Ben Christophers. How do you do? Nice to see you again, Catherine. It's lovely to see you. So tell me, how did you sleep last night? Well, uh, actually, okay. I slept through the night, but I woke up early, which is kind of one of the routines that I can't get out of. Has it been a long time? Well, it's it's in parts. So one part is I tend to sleep all through the night, but I wake up at about six o'clock and I can't get back to sleep and that's the end of it then there's the other one which is where I won't sleep at all or I'll sleep incredibly well there is no pattern it is pure madness and the ones where I slept really well are gold dust it is the greatest feeling in the world we have to wait and see uh, what tonight holds is there a usual out of those three yes I think the one where I sleep through the night but I wake up really early earlier than I really need should it's a bit disconcerting because I know that I need to sleep a little bit more but with a little girl in the house it's not so easy she's up with the first birds (laughs) yeah it is not easy I think that I really do prescribe sleeping well I think it's underrated really lots of people don't sleep well but I absolutely love it when when I've had a good night's sleep and I'm unstoppable that and tea There's nothing more you need. (laughs) Is it a specific tea? Yeah, do you know what? It is. And there's a way of doing it for me. It's the ceremony of life. So it's a tablespoon of Kenyan tea and you mix it with some green tea, Malfeng green tea. And I'm unstoppable for about an hour. And it's such a strange combination. I hadn't really heard of people mixing black and green tea before, but yeah, that's, that's the way it works for me. It's going to be a new trend. It's It's my tip. So where are you sleeping tonight? Well, in the same place I have done... For the last few night, uh, the last twelve months since we moved here, in bed at home with my wife. So where are you in the world? We're in Hertfordshire, in Darkest Wellin, which is uh, in this little tiny village. Kind of, you get a sense you're in the middle of sort of nowhere. It's like a village outside a village. Lots of trees. It's very, very peaceful here. It's wonderful to get a good night's sleep, actually. And so where did you move from? Were you in London or...? Yeah, we were North London for a long time. I lived in North London for 30 years and have been trying for so long to move out. And then at last, we managed to do it after a year of renovations and heartbreak, pandemic, homeschooling, and somehow managed to make it work. And so have you adjusted to the quiet life? Is it something you've always been yearning for? I think it's something that I've been yearning for for a long time although I I do love London there's nothing like it it's a city you can go to be whoever you want to be it's great and it's always there but to have the quiet life it's really lovely I've set my studio up it just feels yeah you know when when I first started out 20 or so years ago there were loads of residential studios and it had a big impact on my life 
being in those beautiful places, being productive. And a lot of them have sadly gone now. And it was what I always wanted to do, is to have a beautiful studio in the middle of the country somewhere. And it's kind of always the dream, isn't it? Yeah. Um, where people come and work, that's kind of the dream. It took a long time to achieve, but it makes such a difference to my productivity. Just not be distracted. I don't know about you. I mean, we're talking on Zoom, and this is sort of a new world for me. I was never remotely working, but... Since lockdown, I've been doing songwriting on Zoom with people in America and you can live in the place that you want to live and still be connected and still feel like you're within that music world. Yeah, it's a great thing, actually. Well, it's a great thing and it's not. I I don't enjoy the Zoom thing that we're doing now because it feels slightly disconnected from you. I'd rather be with you in the room. Or sitting in a pub somewhere. Well, me too. (laughs) (laughs) So there is a sort of, I feel quite disconnected and I feel I can't express myself properly. But having said that, the connection has been vital, especially over the pandemic, trying to to reach out to people and just stay in touch with people because that loneliness is such an awful state to be in and it's a very slow, creeping state of mind to be in. And uh, with the pandemic, we've all had elements of that. And it's not been very easy, has it, really, for anyone? I did the online live shows mainly because there was people who were fans of mine who've been fans for years and years who I know go to gigs on their own. They just weren't getting any connections at all. So it was nice to sort of realise that it wasn't actually about me and it was just about a load of people being able to chat to each other while I sing in my garage. Can you sleep anywhere? No. No, absolutely no. I, I mean, I've toured for so many years and I've never been able to sleep on aeroplanes. And I've done so many trips to Australia um, and America and it's just, it's just not going to happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, uh, on tour buses, I quite like sleeping on tour buses. The, the, the constant movement and the rumble of the engine is absolutely divine. And then when it switches off, you feel very um, strange. I think some people are a bit afraid. Sleeping on a tour bus is quite weird because you're moving and you, at times if you, if you wake up early and you're having that sort of catastrophic thinking at 3 o'clock, a, 3 a.m., you know, you're thinking, oh, God, I hope the drivers are not asleep. But, I mean, there was one occasion when we hit a, we hit a bridge. The bridge was too low and the bus just scraped under the, under the scene <gasps> of, the, of the bridge and the noise was absolutely extraordinary. I, I remember shutting my eyes and grabbing my ears because I just thought, I hope the glass doesn't shatter. It's really quite horrible. The best place for me to sleep is at home. I can't even sleep on the sofa downstairs or in a chair. It's just not going to happen. There was one occasion I fell asleep on the tube, but that's really rare. It has to be in bed. It has to be part of the organisation of the day. So I'm going to bed at nine o'clock and that's when I'm going to go to sleep. I can't do it any, any other way. God knows I've tried. So where is the strangest place you have fallen asleep? I think fully clothed on the floor of a hotel which is the strangest and would normally not be possible. So the fact that I think I was on tour and I woke up and you know that moment of when you wake up um, in a foreign place and you, there is a moment where you don't know what you're doing. The lights are out and you're dressed. You're just <laughs> somewhere you don't know. And it's really bizarre. It, yeah, it takes a moment to adjust. That's just it's not that strange, I suppose. I, I have worked with people who could sleep anywhere. There's a buddy of mine, Nico. He was our monitor guy. He could sleep on an exercise ball. I've never seen anything <laughs> like it. <laughs> <laughs> backwards as well. He was backwards over it. I was fascinated. 
So Tom McRae was saying that he can sleep anywhere on planes, on anywhere he shouldn't be sleeping. And the place that he finds the most difficult place to sleep is in bed because that's where he should be sleeping. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which uh, amused me. <laughs> that That's very Tom. I can quite believe that. Rebellious through and through. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Everybody, it's a very personal thing, sleeping habits. Probably goes back to the very early stages of childhood. I don't know, and how you slept then, maybe, or what was going on around you at the time, I don't know. My daughter sleeps brilliantly. She switched on 100% from the moment she wakes up to the moment she goes to sleep, and then she's gone for 12 or 13 hours, and that's it. I think it's a gift. Yeah, like plug in, plug yeah. out. <laughs> you can pretty much set your watch by her. So do you prefer sleeping alone or with someone? Oh, no, uh, sleeping alone I don't really enjoy. Um, I like sleeping with my wife. Weirdly enough, I heard your podcast, I think it was with Chris Difford, about a pillow. Uh, Having a pillow is comfort. You see, I've done that for years and I feel a kinship to you both. You you do that as well, is that right? I put the pillows in a long line just so that in the night when the lights are out, I can pretend that Neil's in the bed with me and it makes it better. Yeah, Uh, there's something about the, the warmth it gives off. It does feel like there's something there to uh, comfort. My wife pointed it out. She said, um, it's not weird, is it? But I quite like it. It just makes me feel, I don't know, it just makes me feel a bit safer. Yeah. So spoon, cuddle or space? Oh, space. Yeah, I am, I'm not a great cuddler. Spooning is maybe optional just before sleep. I can't fall asleep whilst spooning because it's just... <laughs> I, you know, I kind of end up with a dead arm. I don't know. I just kind of need to be in a private space when it's time to finally switch the lights out. You know, when you're just drifting off, I'm never aware of that moment. I think I just switch off suddenly. I don't feel the climb. It's oh. some, yeah. It's it's just a sudden button, and it, then I'm just gone. You said earlier that you have three modes of sleep. Do you sleep through? I just wondered if you can say, yes, I sleep through. Yeah, you know what? I do, but I need to not look at my phone or the iPad. And it's really hard to condition that. I've got a book by my bedside table that I really want to read. And uh, I keep looking through it really quick and then look at my phone. I really want to stop this. This is one of the worst habits because it just sucks your brain dry and it just makes me so restless. I learn little from that. You know, every morning I wake up and think, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. I almost feel hungover if I do it for too long. I have loads of books by my bed and books everywhere, really. And, and I have a longing for them, for that time to spend with them. And then I find myself floating through Instagram. Is screens what keeps you up? Yeah, screens and worry. Yeah, I, I think I'm a great warrior or warrior. Warrior? And, yeah, I'd like to be able, prefer that. Yes, I'm a, a great one for like, really worrying about something that could be quite tiny and not doing anything about it. So it then finds a friend to connect to and builds upon that. And then you end up with several of those worries. And then it becomes too much. And I'm terrible for that. Procrastinator of worry. At night time, worries sort of grow like shadows. Uh, They just go like 10 times bigger than they actually are. So it's never the time to think about a bill (laughs) to pay at three in the morning. My mum's brilliant with things like this. You know, she'd always say, well, there's nothing you can do about it now. So don't ruin this moment. Sleep well. It's going to be okay. You'll sort it out. You only have to do the first thing. That's all you need to think about. Just do the first thing. Mum's wisdoms are the greatest. There should be a book on them. I would buy that book. I I love the sound of your mum. Do you write or work better in the daytime or nighttime? 
And has that changed over the years? Yeah, it has actually. Originally, I was pretty much a night owl. I found late evening I was on it. But then with circumstance, you know, having a family and stuff like that, I found that the best time for me was early in the morning before anyone's got up. I've become an early morning person. I really like being up and kind of getting that sense that the world hasn't started yet. It's almost like a real secret place. So once I've dropped my daughter off at school, I go back to the studio and I know I've got this period of time because I actually have less time to be creative these days, but I do achieve actually a lot more. I have to think about the time I have. It's between nine and four a day, you know, Monday to Friday. That's not bad. That's almost office hours. I now have like mornings and time when the kids are at school as my secret pockets of playtime. Um, what used to be sort of elongated thoughts, I now have like sprints where I know that I have to be creative on this project or this song. The sort of rush of lack of time kind of works to my advantage in the same way as like lack of money for making a record. So you have to be inventive. Having less of something does help with inventiveness. You're right. I mean, when the birth of the software over the last 15 to 20 years has rendered my creativity a lot slower, when I had just an 8-track, my guitar and a keyboard, I knew exactly what I was doing because my limitations didn't matter. I used to borrow drum beats from here and there and put them in and just kind of create this massive world in, my, in these tiny machines. But when you've got all this choice, you can spend a lot of time not moving physically, not just staring into something, into the screen. And and all of this software is amazing, but it does so much for you. And I kind of feel that the physicality of it in itself, in not moving, sorry, not being as physical, makes me, doesn't kind of tire me out in the way. So I end up not, yeah, when I'm in the studio sometimes, if I'm working on a project and it's taking, you know, and it's day in, day out, I become very tired, but I'm not sleeping. And I think it's just because you're staring into this world, constantly staring into it, one screen, and there's no spinning on your chair and going to a compressor or a, a box or something, and getting really lost in that. So, yeah, I miss the simplicity of creativity, despite the fact I have an old reel-to-reel waiting to be plugged in and used and just, like, in the simplest way. It's a funny thing, really, what the new world brings with the technology answers all the questions but you find there's more questions it's like that same thing as gps it's easy to just drive and point and someone tell you to turn left or right but there's something missing about getting lost i'm not a brilliant guitarist and i'm not very technical at all so my limitations are all of my own doing but they kind of work in my favor because you know i'll think i've invented a new chord and someone will say well that's a d9 I'm like, but it's new. (laughs) When you do finish your day's work, how do you wind down for bed? Do you like quiet or noise? Do you like to chat? Can you you listen to music or podcasts? I don't think I've got... I'm terrible for having particular routines, really. I mean, I try to. Getting up in the the morning is... I have a routine, and it's basically centred around tea. In the evenings to wind down, I find it very hard to wind down after working. Yeah, especially an album because you zone in for so long and then you come out. The, the, do you know what? The real thing that I enjoy is reading with my daughter. That's the moment. Because what we do, we, we have this little reading session or we even might do some drawing or some, we might design something. I kind of leave it open. Strictly, she's supposed to be reading her book from school. But then we have this other thing where we just chat in the dark and we're just lying there and we're just chatting about stuff. 
and then she usually just kind of drifts off. And that's the wind-down time for me. It kind of brings me down. And I've realised how precious that is, actually. I used to think, oh, I need to be doing this, and that's, I've got to sort that out, and something's wrong, I've got to fix it. But actually now, that's the most precious thing to me, um, and, and that's how I'd like to wind down. And it kind of centres me quite a lot, and I'm pretty much ready. I go to bed pretty early, like between uh, half eight and half nine, if I can. You rebel. I know. <laughs> living the dream. So can you remember a lullaby as a child or a song that sent you to sleep or even even a, a childhood book? Oh yeah, do you know I've got so many vivid memories of childhood of things that sent me to sleep and there's one thing in particular is the song Edelweiss. There's one thing I've learned about singing to my daughter at night time. It's quite beautiful that there are certain melodies and the way that they twist and turn. I've noticed that they either make her wake a little or they make her lull. And Edelweiss is one of them. And also Daisy, I don't know what the song's called, you know, Daisy, Daisy. That's another one that would make her go to sleep. But Edelweiss is a really beautiful one because the way the melody climbs and then resolves itself it can be endlessly repeated, and I, it's just so beautiful. And that was a, that's quite a big thing for me. I remembered hearing it at my grandparents' post office when I was growing up, coming up through the, through the door, and I don't know what they were listening to. I think it was from an old vinyl record, very old version of Edelweiss. It's so beautiful and so alluring. I think that that would be my, my tune. I was just going to say, when you said Edelweiss, it, I remember having sleepovers with my gran and she used to sing me Edelweiss. Mm. It's, it's almost like I, ivy, the way it grows and twists mm. back on itself. Yes, it's an amazing melody. It's beautiful. I think melodies to me are just, they're so extraordinary. Stories they tell without even using words. You know, Scarborough Fair's another one that I find uh, captivating. It absolutely goes straight through me. I can see pictures and colours and uh, landscapes. And, yeah, it's just so such a, um, an extraordinary melody line. There's something about... And I think it's my grandmother who used to play Chopin. Oh, that's how I remembered it, uh, in the shop. And I'd hear Chopin coming through the door from downstairs with that smell of, like, coffee, toast, you know, and it just makes me want to drift away and I still listen to Chopin now and think of her and the way that she used to play it. It was, oh. it was a very long time ago now, but that's something else. It's just those sort of soft tones. I don't know what the pieces, uh, the pieces were that she played now. Her name wasn't Anne, was it? I'm sorry? Her name wasn't Anne. No, no. <laughs> oh, sorry, just Chopin. Sorry. It would have been so good. Oddly, her name was Ivy. Your mention to uh, Edelweiss. It was a big deal for me, and I think it's had a really positive effect on my uh, later life. Listening to that kind, of, listening to that music, and I think it's so helpful to be grounded with your past memories. I really cherish those memories. And so, have you passed them on to your daughter? Do you sing the same things? Yeah, I, I, I like to tell her the same. St- I like to tell her the stories as I remembered them about Chopin or about Edelweiss. And it's really interesting because I tell her in a way that I think sounds brilliant, but she just looks at me to go, "Oh, cool." She'll thank me one day. Well, thank you so much for talking to me, Ben. Um, I've really enjoyed having you on the show, Ben Christophers. It's a great pleasure, Kath. Lovely to see you again.